Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm in the studio with Rob Sheffield, Brittany Spanos, and John Dolan. Somehow we're halfway through this absolute hellscape of a year, and we put up a list of the 50 best albums of 2019 so far. And it's not ranked. It's really just kind of the best-reviewed albums of the year, as according to Rolling Stone, according to some of the critics we have right here. We'll rank them at the end of the year, oh, right, John? Yes. We'll rank the hell Can't out of them. Can't rank too soon. The year's not over yet. We that's, don't know. That's World true. events you, may dictate how the list changes that's over true the list, you know? okay you refrain from ranking but since it is unranked i guess that gives me an opportunity to ask i mean Brittany, what are your top two top three albums of the year personally i would say that the two that i return to the most are billy eilish's album when we fall asleep where do we go and lizzo's because i love you are the top two ones that I... The Billy one kind of came later where I was returning to it a lot because I loved a lot of her earlier stuff a lot more. And then Lizzo, I've been a fan of for years. I was so excited to see what she was able to do with a full album. You know, her music was so all over the place for a really long time. And I think she put together something that was really solid, really beautifully done. And yeah, those are the two that I go back to. I enjoy the Lizzo album a lot. The criticism that came up, and this caused her to decide that all critics should be unemployed, specifically <laughs> a recurring criticism is that there's something a little like designed to be uplifty about it. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. What I experienced is in a strange way, a squeaky cleanness, and maybe it's mm -hmm. that earnestness. Yeah. So push back on that criticism. I mean, I think that because pop has moved into a more sort of like sad core zone over the last couple of years. I think that's why she does feel so bright in comparison. I mean, she makes a really great breakup song. Truth Hurts, as we've seen, has been like the best sleeper hit of the year. The song Jerome on the album is fantastic. I think that she is just a much brighter presence than a lot of breakthrough pop stars that we've gotten over the last couple of years. And I think that that's why it feels a little bit much of like the antithesis of kind of like the sad, raw post juice world emo kind of number <laughs> right. one stuff but yeah i think there's that fun to it i think she's a great performer those songs really translate to a live setting like she makes you believe in everything that she says totally she's like i'm fun and cheerful damn it if you say otherwise i will call for your firing <laughs> yeah. But yeah no but i mean definitely and as i think you've said and other people said there is a real paisley park prince thing there and she was yeah. actually a late prince i wouldn't say protege but prince was a fan yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and they worked together a little bit and i think she's definitely learned a lot about how to fuse a lot of funk and rock into her pop music and it comes off really well. Her voice is fantastic. I think that it really shines on this album a lot more than some of her past songs. And it's nice. It just sounds like her. and sounds like what she's been trying to do for years. It's very much in the sort of Janelle Monet mm -hmm. vein. It's like in that genre of like princely yeah. female R&B. It is a lot of fun. And I'm not just saying that so she won't call for my firing. Let's hear Jerome by Lizzo. <laughs> And then there's totally different stuff like tempo, which is like could be by a totally different artist. Mm -hmm. Let's just hear that real quick. Can't move all of this here to one of those. I'm a thick bitch. I need tempo. tempo. Fuck it up to the tempo. Pity pat, pity pat, pity the logic of her assertion has always escaped me, but I'll, I'll buy it. I mean, I'm going to be pro any album that puts Missy Elliott on there. So like, it's already extra points for having Missy on the album. Tempo is totally the one. On an album full of bangers, that's the banger to Tootie Bangers. Absolutely. I love it. Also, with Truth Hurts blowing up, note that it blew up because it was in a movie about music critics yes. made by a music critic. Yeah. I mean, that song, it's been out for Whoa, two years. Right. It's so good. I mean, it's just like a perfect song. And I'm not surprised that it is a hit now, but it's just funny that it took so long. But I'm so glad that it was because of the Rolling Stone rom-com, Someone Great <laughs> on Netflix. 
and it's now here riding up to the top 10. <laughs> and let's hear that one before we move on from Lizzo. <laughs> yeah, I got boy problems as the human in me. Bling, bling, then I solve them. That's the goddess in me. So Billie Eilish, we talked about rather extensively, so maybe we won't belabor that, but the album is strong and it's holding up for sure. Yeah, it took me like, I mean, I liked the singles and I think the album overall is like, okay, it's like kind of very depressing. And then I was like, okay, I kind of get it now. I get the teen <laughs> emo-ness. I had to put myself into that mindset of sad teen and but, I get it. Because it's, <laughs> it's not exactly depressing, right? It's more like reveling in your sort of like... It kind of goes topic teeters, yeah. It's and, definitely, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. not like, you know, like a full kind of like the world is terrible type of thing, but like it's definitely kind of teeters between a lot of sad teen feelings and also just like spooky sounds, which I kind of get now. Hot Topic Core. You saw her live last week, right? I did. I was already learning to love the album a lot more. And I think that seeing her live, I was like, okay, this is, it translates so well. It's so much fun. Everything really came to life. And she's so weird and so fun and really just herself. And I'm really excited to see what she does next. Rob, and maybe they're the same ones, which uh, leads us to a dead end. Then we'll move on to your next two. But what are your top two or, or so albums? <laughs> Those two are way up there for me. Yeah. And also both marked for their staying power for albums that both made an immediate impression. They're albums that hold up the billiest especially just keeps on giving up nuances over time. It's really kind of like a remarkably a built to last kind of record. It's sort of the follow up to supposed former infatuation junkie that we never <laughs> quite got. Two records for me that I've been playing constantly, the Sharon Van Etten record, which came out in January, and it was one of the first records of 2019 that we heard. And in terms of a record that you hear it and you can already tell it's going to be like one of your albums of the year. It's just an amazing sidestep from an artist. I loved her when it was just her and her acoustic guitar just doing her folky kind of songs. And this kind of synth goth makeover is not something I necessarily would have recommended. That's why I'm not an A&R, but <laughs> she brought the depths and complexities of her songs to this new sort of musical setting. And it's just an astounding record. What's the other one? The Mannequin Pussy record, which I guess just missed the cutoff for a list like this. But it was a release date issue, not a quality issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the second half of 2019, which yeah. we're already yeah. well yeah. into. Get ready. Yeah, get ready. Oh, I see it hasn't come out yet. Is that the thing? No, it's up. Oh, I'm sorry. It was like anything before the 20th. It was like it came out like a week up. ago. Yeah. yeah. Guitar. Too technical. John, with our, John's very yeah. strict. Yeah. Well, let's hear a Comeback Kid by Sharon Van Etten, and then we'll come back to the Madigan Pussy. It's good. It didn't occur to me when I listened to it before, but just now it sounded like female-fronted Interpol to me. I don't know why. It just, it wow. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's an all-girl reboot of Interpol. It's very exciting. I love it. <laughs> Which probably is what Interpol needs. Um, <laughs> even though John Dolan has cut it off because it is a week too late, tell us a little bit more about the Mannequin Pussy record. The Mannequin Pussy record, it's guitar rock record of the year for me. It's such an exciting time for feminist punk rock. So many of the year's most amazing albums for me have come from that sort of astounding movement of the past few years. So the Priest's record is phenomenal. The Control Chop record is phenomenal. The Patio record is phenomenal. And Mannequin Pussy, I really loved that band when their idea of making a record was just to go into the studio and have a bunch of 45-second tantrums over and over again. I thought that was brilliant. This time they decided to write songs. What a gimmick. And yet the songs are great and totally love that record. I think we have uh, Drunk 2 from that record. What a song. Yeah. What a jam and a half. Fuck yeah. Brittany, what else? 
from 2019 so far as as quatrier. I mean, as you know, I'm a, a Carly Rae Jepsen fan, and Dedicated was what I wanted from her and what I needed from her. I think it's really great. At times, I might like it more than Emotion, and I just think it's really strong. It's really fun. It's really solid. It's probably her most uniform-sounding album that she's done. I think she's kind of played with a lot of pop tropes and genres, and I think this album really just sounds like she figured out sort of that core of her emo-ish kind of breakup sad pop and making it uplifting in the vein of Robin where it's like really dancey kind of heartbreak glittery pop and so I really love Want You In My Room with Jack Antonoff really great pairing for that song it's really fun it's just really dancey and it's great and easy to listen to and no skippable songs on that album let's hear that song the Antonoff bop with anything Antonoff I'm always thinking like what is he referencing what is he referencing with those drums and guitars? What sort of 80s thing is that? <laughs> Honestly, like with a lot of Carly Rae's choices, it reminds me of a very specific kind of mid to late 80s mall pop. So mm-hmm. that song reminds me of Baby Love by Regina, which I guarantee nobody in this room remembers. and Nobody <laughs> listening remembers. You can find it. It was like maybe the 48th best Madonna ripoff hit of 1985. <laughs> Great song. But that's the kind of thing that she remembers. She's into Stacey Q, stuff like that late Bananarama, the kind of stuff that's forgotten by history. And she writes new songs with this musical language. I should not have credited Antonoff, but I mean, he does. Oh, he, he does not he denying does, Antonoff. Yeah, he like, does tend to be like, like, oh, well, actually, it's the exact drum sound from, you know, <laughs> like, it's, it's always like Tunnel of Love. He's like, you didn't realize that's Tunnel of Love, but let's, let's maybe let's, a little let's, confirmation bias when he's talking to you, yeah, Brian. I've never talked to him, actually. Okay, all right. so, <laughs> but yes, everything is Tunnel of Love. Ba- yes. Baby Love uh, by Regina. Let's, let's hit it. They should have just released this as the new Carly Rae single. <laughs> Absolutely. But she's done it again. Yes. <laughs> this is even better than emotions. It's a bold statement. With a couple months on it now, I feel like it's definitely growing for me. I feel like I skip around a lot in emotion. Like I feel like there's times where the first half really works for me. Second half sometimes works more. But I think for Dedicated, it's just like a play all the way through album for me. I think every song on there is just has a lot of charm to it. How's the fan reaction been? Because the obsession with emotion was just over the top. Like people were almost like that album more than they liked her, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Like, although certainly they liked her, they wanted to give her a sword yeah. and all that shit. But people were just like emotion. emotion it was definitely emotion. more outsized than her yeah. pop star persona. Yeah. So are people a little slow to embrace this one with that degree of fervency? I saw a lot of mixed reaction because it is a lot more muted than emotion was. Like I think emotion had really, really big pop anthems. I mean, it starts with Run Away With Me, which is just her best song, that big sax solo. It's just a massive, massive song. And I think this album's like a little bit more muted, a little bit more, you know, kind of like in your room dancing alone to this. But yeah, it's not like a clubby album where Motion had a lot more like kind of clubby party music. Let's hear that one. Yeah, that was... What a perfect song. A great song. Agony to fade it down. Easily memeable song, too. That oh, That's always a sign of a really great pop song, if you can make a good meme about it. <laughs> but it's from the pre-TikTok era, so we'll never know. I know, but it was part of the peak Vine era, which was better. <laughs> what will be next? I, I can't Not to wait. be an old millennial, but Vine was better than TikTok. <laughs> Just wait till someone's like, what? what is Vine? What was Vine? <laughs> So there's a lot of different stuff on this list. John Dolan, is there anything you'd want to single out? Well, the Sharon Van Etten was one of my favorites. And I love the Mannequin Pussy. And thinking about that record, it reminded me, a band like that, like it reminds me of when bands like Who's Could Do would start off thrashing and then like learn to be 
songwriters. But what's cool about it is they don't have to think about being commercial at all, so they can just be themselves and be people. It's just a nice, it's happening with a lot of these bands, the kind of bands like that, I feel. You know, I definitely like that. I think the, the one record I would have been listening to a lot and really liking is um, by this singer-songwriter from uh, Michigan named Steph Chura, an indie rock singer-songwriter, who reminds me of PJ Harvey and Jack White in some ways. She's got, a, I think, a voice that can sometimes be kind of a difficult voice at sometimes, like kind of a Corin Tucker voice, where it's also kind of really exhilarating. And uh, her new album is really fantastic, particularly a song called They'll Never. Yeah. I wanted to talk about Jay Paul, who didn't actually release an album per se, released like a couple songs, but we snuck him onto this list. Maybe that was a fuck up. I don't know, but it deserves to be no, on this list. No, it was the, okay. the leaked demos yeah, were yeah, finally yeah, yeah, officially yeah, released. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So it's not just like no, a that was song. A, like an okay. EP of two songs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I thought we put the two song mm-hmm. EP on okay all right cool but those two new songs are amazing everything he does and is I mean amazing. listening to the finally released package of demos I mean the fact that that set him back for so many years just hearing the way that it's influenced so much R&B since then and how everything that we hear from like the weekend that we heard from Frank Ocean from even like Zane like everyone that's come out with an R&B album since those songs came out just are so heavily influenced by what he did. He's kind of like, in some ways, a successor to D'Angelo, like a tortured R&B genius drawing from like a million different influences mm-hmm. with a real knowledge of music history and kind of a production genius. I'm kind of blown away by Jay Pond. Apparently there's more coming from those, like a, a new album coming. Yeah. Let's hear some of the, either from the demos or the, or the new songs. I really think he's on some other level than pretty much like the 95% of people. He's on some like crazy Brian Wilson, D'Angelo, like God tip. Like I'm a little bit obsessed with yeah. him right now. And then there's some older stuff. There is in fact a Bruce Springsteen record. Really? Yeah, which I'm still actually, I'm still absorbing. Like I haven't, I was saying it to John, I, like because I did a book where I was like very deeply involved with the entire catalog, I'm having a, a certain degree of trouble absorbing a new album my brain isn't ready for it so i haven't but i will say like the title track is i think really really amazing i do not love sleepy joe's cafe very much and there's a few other things that there's a song called moonlight motel is super agonizingly sad like almost so achingly nostalgic and sad that i can barely listen to it but the title track though again like kind of instant classic i think oh, let's hear that wake up in the morning Glad my boots are on. You were talking about the Priests album. Do you want to say a little bit more about that, Rob? Yeah, the Priests, they are a post-punk, dance-ish punk band from D.C. who have always been a just ferocious live band. They've had on and off success in terms of translating that to the studio. Their last record had great songs, but the sound was just a little too tamed. This time, they really got it, absolutely nailed it in the studio. So it's got a, a lot of B-52s energy, a lot of... Pylon yeah, energy. Pylon, I was going to say. Yeah. But also, they've really shaped their very cerebral political rants into just fantastic songs. And, and it's an album that just begins strong and just bangs all the way to the end. Even as a fan, this is beyond what I thought they had in them. So are they like familiar with Pylon or are they just happening to sound like Pylon? Oh, they're familiar with Pylon. The guitarist is definitely like in that he's got a very Pylon B-52s, you know, Delta 5, yeah. like very much in this sort of choppy, dancey 
post-punk D.O.R. sort of vein. Who would think that there'd be more bands that sound like Pylon than R.E.M. in 2019? <laughs> let's, let's at least that, that, was, that was tough, man. Yeah, yeah. You can't just say that. You, can't <laughs> just, you have to give us a moment. Am I wrong? Peter Buck's dream would be that. Finally. I've been telling people for years not to listen to my band, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and now right. they're not. <laughs> <laughs> our loathsome influence, yeah. our loathsome like, mainstream only influence Only we have more individuals fans out there. Let's hear YouTube Sartre would Sadly, is not a band, but is a priest song, but it should be a band of its own. <laughs> the bass player doesn't give a fuck. I love well, it. There's also like a Martin <laughs> Hannett kind of quality, too. Absolutely. Like if he, if he produced yes. Scary Monsters or something like that. Oh, my God. Like, that's exactly right. Yeah. It's really, I like the way that record sounds. Absolutely. Uh, some of the people in that band are also in Gauche, who have a somewhat messier, sloppier, noisier approach, but just a, a, another fantastic record from another fantastic band. So I want to take a moment and talk about Vivid Seats. Staying at home is great, but eventually you just got to get out of the house. Whether you go out to see your favorite band or go cheer on your favorite team in person, you got to get out of the house. You got to have a night out. And with Vivid Seats, you can attend the concert of your choice, the sports event of your choice, whatever event you're looking for at a great price. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you might want to go to. On their site, you can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice. You can pick the seat you want. To make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive 10% off your first ticket order to save even more money. Just go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. First-time customers can use promo code ROLLINGSTONE, that's R-O-L-L-I-N-G-S-T-O-N-E, for 10% off your first Vivid Seats order. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee, from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more. Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and enter promo code ROLLINGSTONE for 10% off your first order on Vivid Seats. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. And there's a Santana record, Africa Speaks. Sadly, the Rob Thomas album as Rob O'Sane during the break is not on there because if you play them together, you'd have a near smooth reunion. You'd have a hot one. Right. You would have a hot one. <laughs> what you can do is try playing one in each ear of your headphones and then it sounds like Captain Beefheart, except with Rob Thomas singing. That might be the single greatest album of the year. For the after. 50th anniversary of Trout Mass Replica, you can <laughs> celebrate that occasion by playing these two records at once. <laughs> do we have a Mac DeMarco fan? here you know i think i am but i'm not you know what i mean it's like i'm not as much as i should be i feel like i'm in his the venn diagram of me and his music is right there but i'm just i don't really love his records as much as i think i probably ought to you know i can do that as long as i don't have to look at him (laughs) (laughs) just like his expression bothers me but i I can deal with this music are you not a fan rob uh if you can't say nice, if I may change the subject, okay. <laughs> and just to be cartoonishly on brand for a moment, yeah. the Malkmus record is oh. so good. Can we talk about that, Stephen Malkmus? Never, yes. never fails. We did never miss. We did do an entire. I had Mr. Malkmus in the yes, studio. Yes, you did, and it. it was great. Oh, thank you. But if you think that satiates my but, quest to talk about Stephen <laughs> yeah. Malkmus, you have not even met me, my friend. That record is so great, and I love just the whole. I'm going to do something completely different that doesn't sound anything like I've but I've done before when it kind of it actually sounds the same. Does. Yes, exactly. <laughs> As I, I think I said to him, it's like, it's one of those records where the supposed premise peters out. Like it starts out and you're like, oh, wow, this is really, and then it's like, nah, it's just. And I'll just make some garage rock songs that sound like old pavement songs. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. It's, so, it's, it's my idea. favorite kind of concept record. The kind where like, once he came up with the concept, he was like, okay, I don't need to make the actual record. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to write a bunch of Stephen Mountmas songs that are just fantastic. 
And then he was really dreading going out on tour with his laptop to the point where I wanted to be like, just don't do it, man. You he was so funny with his laptop. It was like, wow, he got even more awkward. It was just beautiful to see. <laughs> he seemed to be an abject uh, terror of the entire idea. It's interesting. I mean, I would say that the list is a little hip hop light. And I would say that's because rap has been existing almost outside of albums this year in some ways. And things like Boogie With a Hoodie last year. Yeah, I mean, I guess the biggest rap element on there is Tyler, the Creator, in terms of its profile, I suppose. And then Juice World is also on there, and that's a big album. The new Freddie Gibbs album that came out today with Mad Lib is really, really good. But didn't make the cutoff because of timing, but it's really excellent. I like Igor. The uh, the song that samples Al Green is nice. I think uh, for Tyler's fans really love that record and feel it's, it's this tremendous breakthrough. I didn't quite hear the breakthrough, but I enjoyed well, listening the, to it. Well, the mood of it is a little like, you know, I guess it's predictable he would start off being this wolf or what, and then it would be, sort of become more, a little lighter and more populist and popular in a way. I suppose that's the trajectory that you're probably going to expect, but he did a pretty good job with it. Fan? Not a fan? No. <laughs> I like some of his stuff, but like, I'm not the biggest Tyler the, like the earlier, fan. You just like the early, more transgressive stuff. No, no I did no, not no. like the early stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just gone too soft for you. Now that he's, yeah. What's your one song from that uh, new Magic Wand, I think? I did like the production. It, it sort of is. It's like bargain basement Gestapo If you know that guy, it's, it's in that kind of in that vein. I think Gestapo is bargain basement Gestapo I like Gestapo Stein. <laughs> Gestapo is kind of awesome. Gestapo yeah, like, is underrated. He's a really interesting producer. I don't know why people hate on Gestapo I would say Gestapo had an album last year that was like kind of with all these different singers on it. That was his own album, and that wasn't that good. But in general, Gestapo is like kind of almost in a Nine Inch Nails influence, sort of EDM ish pop producer with all lots of distorted sounds who I think is kind of slept on a little bit but you know Gasafelstein yeah you say it really well you say it great it's also fun I'm a big Gasafelstein fan I definitely have been pronouncing that name wrong for a long time (laughs) 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 it's very good to learn (laughs) in the vein of Gasafelstein except not at all is the really wonderful Jenny Lewis album which no one has mentioned so far like basically all of Jenny Lewis's albums are good but this one's really Really, really strong. Everyone I've played it for, it's just she just has her vein and has dug into it, and she's kind of like her own classic Rocky genre. And this album's just spectacular, I think. I don't know. Totally. And I think it's a breakthrough. And it's funny to call it a breakthrough for somebody who's been so consistently good for such a long time and has never fallen off. But to me, just the total grown-up vibe of this album and the way it's designed very much for a sort of grown-up perspective, it's really kind of, to my mind, a map for the songs that she's going to keep writing for the next 20 or 30 years. This record I listened to, and I was like, even more than her previous records, I was like, this is the one that she's going to be following. And this is someone who I assume is going to be writing brilliant songs will enter her 60s and 70s. Well, let's hear Red Bull and Hennessy from that record. Hallelujah. Also, talk about 80s production. Like, the, the obsession of millennials for tango in the night yeah. continues to blow my mind. <laughs> the drum sound is best. Really. Yeah. yeah. We all thought tango in the night was a letdown at the time, didn't we? <laughs> now it's like this totem for like production perfection. Well, on a side note, when everyone said that Haim sounded like Fleetwood Mac, I found that so confusing at first. And that was because I didn't know tango in the night that well. And that was the last thing I would ever think of <laughs> yes. when you're saying that it sounds like Fleetwood Mac. And then I listened to tango in the night again. And I was like, oh, they mean it sounds like tango in the night. They don't mean just <laughs> it's 
sounds nothing like any other Fleetwood Mac, but it sounds exactly like Tango in the Night. Yeah, Seven sounds... Wonders would be the most influential. Is that, not, is that on Tango in the Night? Yeah. yeah. It would be the most influential Fleetwood Mac song of a generation. Yeah, I think really that and weird. Everywhere are like yeah, probably everywhere, the especially. top two just like influences on kind of pop rocky sounds for a lot of artists. Yeah, it's mind-blowing. The idea of like going back in time and saying, someday in the future people will be really trying hard to sound like this. Yeah. Someday just, people will be like, way more into Christine McVie than they thought they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people say that the Solange album, When I Get Home, is their single favorite album of the year. Do we have a fan? I like it, but I haven't returned to it as much as I thought I would. I prefer the previous one. Yeah. But I have seen multiple people say, I prefer this one. I found the visual element a lot stronger for me, and I think it works so much better when you're kind of watching the film that complements it with the music and I think it definitely is a full package type of thing and I think she's a very holistic performer and artist where she really demands that you absorb everything that's part of the album so the visual component with the music and everything but yeah I haven't returned to it as much as I thought I would but I, I enjoy it I think that her last album I see at the table is a lot stronger for me well let's hear Almeida I need to go back to it myself. I remember experiencing it more as a vibe than as individual mm-hmm. songs kind of thing. It, it's just like a, but a very effective vibe. Yeah. But actually, it is because I've seen the past couple of weeks as people are looking back at the year and people really shouting out that album again that I was like, oh, I better go back to that one. And it did make our list. Obviously. And I mean, I think it says a lot that we're at this point with Solange where up until a seat at the table where she doesn't have to prove that she is an artist in her own right. I think for a long time, people were still kind of unconvinced of what she was capable of doing. And I think now that we know that she is a super visual artist, someone who can create these incredible scenes and really kind of roots-based music that we're able to just own a lot of that of her. And I think she's owned it herself. And I think it's a really solid album though. I can see why a lot of people really still go back to it and love it. And speaking of uh, the last album being better, Maren Morris's Girl made the list. What a transition. (laughs) (laughs) And I... Our our milk of human kindness is running low in the second (laughs) half of this hour. I'm just being real. I just interviewed her. I had a great time talking with her. And I think you reviewed the record. I think you said like about half of it is really, really strong. And it just starts to like peter out a little bit towards the end. Yeah, there are a lot of dud songs on it. And there were so many dud songs that the first few times through, I was like, wow, maybe this is just not a good Marin Morris album. But the good songs are so good. And ultimately, because she's trying something different, and for me, at least half the songs on the album are failures. But a song like Girl, which I go back to, which is a real stretch for her. It's a really different kind of record than anybody's trying to make. A rock anthem, which is two words that generally do not go together in 2019. And I find Girl just a very powerful song. Yeah, and I like The Bones a lot. That's just like yeah. a really solid... Actually, as I said to her, it's one of those perfect country metaphors. Like, if the bones are strong, like the bones of the house, the bones of a relationship, it's like, damn, that's good. That's like, yeah. you know... <laughs> I also, I like the song about looking back in your favorite songs, and she sings about, boy, I miss the days when Cole play still played in bars yeah i have no huh? idea what the hell she was what? talking about yeah huh? it's like now you're just making shit up Marin. Like, like, that, that never those happened good old days though those are great days that that app that one showcase they had to play <laughs> right before they got their record deal after, yeah. they fell off with yellow she saw their one south by showcase and yeah. that was yeah uh, let's hear a girl by Marin morris stadium arcadian vibes Wow. All up in my head again. I don't feel 
telling you, it's like I would love for more music to be inspired by Stadium Arcadia. That album rules. <laughs> That's so funny. For me, it sounds like the Cars. Let the good times roll. Yeah. That's the first three Cars albums, like no, in one guitar riff. No, everyone knows that Stadium Arcadia is a much more likely reference than the Cars. <laughs> I'm going for a Stadium Arcadia meets you know, uh, Cage Match. That's a separate candy that's a separate vibe. Yes, yeah. yes. Although Candio is their Californication. <laughs> Comparing the Cars to the Chili Peppers, two very interesting careers. I have never driven towards a sunset in LA without thinking, you know, that it settles in a fine location. <laughs> Every single time. It's weird. Ariana Grande's Thank You Next, like it really felt like that came out last year. Yeah. Uh, oh my but, gosh. But it did not. It's just that some of the songs did. Is that holding up for you to a, as an album? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Bad Idea, NASA, top two songs of the year. Oh, yeah. And NASA has not been like a single, right? Which is. No, she stopped releasing singles after. Break Up With Your Girlfriend on Board, another great song. It's just, like, really fun. I think she's really found her own niche. Like, she's found what she's doing. She knows who she is as an artist. She spent so long figuring it out and doing a lot of different things, kind of molding into a lot of different pop stars. And I think now she's like, I understand my audience. She knows exactly the age group of the audience that she has, and she's making music for them. And I think that's really special because we're not seeing that as often, especially with more traditional pop stars. Thank You Next is a great album, aside for Ariana. Yeah, it makes such a great pair with Sweetener. Yeah. Sweetener being the sort of old school pop blockbuster that's designed to mm-hmm. feed off single after single for like three years. And I love that she just kind of winged it for the amnesiac to Sweetener's Kid A. <laughs> they sort of flatter each other. So I find uh, going back to Sweetener is more fun after Thank You Next. And like every pop star always has their fuck it moment and she finally did and it works <laughs> for her. I think she's like finally reached it. It's her kind of just like moment of like, I'm just going to do my own thing, see what happens, do something completely unexpected. And there it is. Let's hear NASA from that record. We didn't talk about Vampire Weekend, who made a excellent album, sort of a little bit less of a band record. It seems like Ezra taking control to an extent, Father of the Bride. And it's just a long-awaited album that I think kind of just lived up to everyone's highest hopes for uh, this incarnation of Vampire Weekend. Is it their Stadium Arcadium? What could possibly live up to the four-star rated Stadium Arcadium? <laughs> it's funny, I actually, I haven't written a record review in, in 11 years and don't plan on ever writing one again, but uh, I was assigned that and gave it four stars. Should have given then, it five. And, and then I was kind of embarrassed by that, and then I found a whole new generation loves that record, so I'm redeemed. Anyway, really? yes, right. that is a beloved record. I, if I'm remembering correctly, like in our Records of the Year for 2006, it was Bob Dylan Modern Times at number one and Stadium Arcadium at number two. And that was just kind of just a beautiful pairing, I thought. I mean, just the title that's, alone. That's where you said Chad Smith. Like, didn't you say Chad Smith was like the Mitch Mitchell of a new generation? <laughs> I don't know, but that sounds like something I might have said. I think it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is that, you know, it's not like I'm the world's biggest fan of Red Hot Chili Peppers. I don't give them a ton of thought. But So yeah. you say, yeah. actions <laughs> speak louder. You know, I just took what I was assigned. I didn't know I could say no. Stadium uh, but, Come on. <laughs> Back Albums in 2019 is Stadium but, Arcade. But, <laughs> <laughs> it rules. I was listening to it last yeah. week. It's great. <laughs> new York's hottest club is Stadium Arcade. <laughs> <laughs> Is. Sorry, rap but, album of the year. <laughs> so, Anthony Kiedis, greatest rapper alive to steal Charles' joke. Some of us are taking this conversation seriously, yeah. and it's me. <laughs> Sorry, Vampire Weekend and Father of the Bride. We are talking about Stadium Arcadium. Would someone like to say something about Father of the Bride, for God's sake? Yeah, it's really good. All the songs are incredibly catchy. He moved to California and made an end-of-the-world record. 
and it's you know really pretty and sweet. I like their one before it a little better, I think, but I, it's really a nice album. I think it's just basically like unceasingly melodic. It is. And super well crafted you know people talk about the jam band vibes i guess i think that's not that's, really uh, i mean it sounds like the dead when they were concise and didn't jam yet i don't really quite follow the jammy what's funny and then in some kind of weird circular loop they've been like bringing out the jams in concerts so yeah this is just like a slight influence of like the dead and it's stuff like 70s kind of ham pop and stuff like that and yeah and then again a second Hyam danielle Hyam pops up on like three songs married in a gold rush is a really great song that she's on if she's we, on we this life her. as well right yeah yeah and I hold you now. We belong together. Actually, it's another grown-up record. We were talking yes. about grown-up records, and it's freaky that these are our grown-ups now. You know, and he's actually really—he's like thirty-two. Yeah, no, the Jenny Lewis one is like. I'm 38 or whatever. Like, this one's like, I'm 30. So I'm coming of age a little again. Yeah. You know what it is? He's one of those, he takes being 30 like really seriously. Yeah. But that's Take, how you feel when you're 29 or th- just turning 30. You're like, oh, this is like- Well, you can like, decide really. whether to like let that make you really 30 or you can decide <laughs> to like regress. And he went for like, I'm a grown up, I'm married, I'm 30 kind of thing. He referenced the, this is his reference, not mine, Rob, for the record, but he said that it, he thought about <laughs> the river a lot as he was recording it. And then I heard it and I was like, I don't hear that at all, but it wasn't a sonic thing. My understanding is he watched the documentary, the Ties That Bind documentary where Bruce was talking about I was trying to learn how to write like an adult and write about so it was much more of a thematic thing than even faintly a sonic thing. You could listen all day and hear neither Stadium Arcadium nor The River. (laughs) But they're Uh, both there. But but they're both there. Stadium Arcadium, I don't think any record made in the post Stadium Arcadium (laughs) era has has really missed some influence. When you have an album that powerful, it's it's sort of like... Not just, I think, television shows, movies. (laughs) Right. I don't listen to pop music unless I can hear the Anthony Kiedis <laughs> yeah, right. in it. <laughs> well, I have a screenplay about what if Stadium Arcadium had never come out and the world is wild. <laughs> and the, the world's destroyed at the end, right? It's just like, yeah, it's nuclear bombs it's going like, off. It's there. actually just, yeah, no, it's even worse than now. <laughs> Actually, it could be that that was the problem. That's when it all went wrong. <laughs> Actually, Will Dana, our beloved former editor, had a theory that everything went wrong when Britney had her breakdown. We've all been living inside Britney's brain since then. I believe that's that. Which was right that's after when, Stadium Arcadia. Yeah, yeah, it's that's real. When, that's when we went into the wrong time. She was time wandering line. the Stadium Arcadia. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, let's hear Married in a Gold Rush. We got married in a gold rush. And the rush has never failed. Yeah, you know, this album's really great. It, just for record, I don't know why this became the goof, but Father of the Bride is one of the best records of the year so far. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I yeah. think it's really great. <laughs> From start to finish. And Influenced it, by both kinds of music, but, Stadium <laughs> and Arcadia. <laughs> we made that joke about innocence and experience. <laughs> it was the first post-Rostam album, so there was that big question of like, you know, can he do it on his own, that kind of thing, and he, he came It's a solo album, album, basically. I mean, It is. That's what I was trying to say is yeah. he, no one would pick up you just want to talk about Anthony Kiedis you know like <laughs> it is him taking the reins and mm-hmm. it's a transition it's sort of like Katie lied like the next one is going to be all session musicians you know just that's to switch to switch comparison. to switch yeah, metaphor I like that to switch metaphors for a second but anyway those are the best albums of the year so far do you want to throw out like one more that we didn't mention for like 30 seconds the Craig Finn record like oh, yeah. while we're talking about grown-up records and also solo records he's still with the hold steady they have a great new album coming up if i may say that but uh he's been really on a roll with the solo albums blankets from this is one of the best songs of the year and one that's missing is the connor oberst group better oblivion community center with phoebe bridgers that's also a great album and i think we'll we'll probably revisit that for the end of the year list but anyway that's our list that's the things that are on our list that's stadium arcadium uh that has been 
today's Rolling Stone Music Now, thanks to Brittany Spanos, thanks to Rob Sheffield, thanks to John Dolan. Check out the list online on rollingstone.com and keep checking for all the good albums that have come out for the rest of the year. And then check back at the end of the year. We'll be back next week here on SiriusXM Volume Channel 106. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, maybe leave a nice review on iTunes. And as always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you.